0: Well, amen. Our God is the giver of life, and the giver of everything that could be called life is given to us by God. Just, uh, and that's a good thing, and um, it's a joy to be here uh, to worship this God with you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. Uh, I've been preaching through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Verses 26 through 40, Acts chapter 8, we'll read in just a couple minutes here, starting in verse 26. Book of Acts covers the events that happened after the the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. He ascends back to heaven, Acts chapter 1, and then the book of Acts tells us what happened after Jesus ascended. Let's go ahead and pray as we get going here this morning. Well, Father, we would just look to you now, in and through Jesus Christ. We believe, Father, that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a, a free and full salvation. That those who are truly united to Christ by faith, we are forgiven people. We, we are forgiven. We, we, we sit here before you today forgiven and loved infinitely. We thank you for it. We thank you for the life we've received in and through Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, you said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And we know we just taste that life here in this life, um, Lord Jesus, when we trust in you. But we just look forward to the kingdom of heaven when we're in heaven and we're experiencing life then for all eternity. We thank you, Father, for giving us life And we believe, Father, that part of your giving of life to us is the Word of God, the Scriptures you've given to us in order that we might find Christ, who is life. So Lord, as we just open this part of your Word, I do pray, Father, this would not be black words on a white page, but Lord, you would send your Spirit across this room. In the combination of Word and Spirit, we would be able to see Christ, and we'd be able to see His beauties and His glories and fall in love with Christ and know Christ and find life in Christ we thank you for it Lord God we bless you for it in the name of Jesus amen you know one thing we see very clearly in acts is the spread of the gospel message about Jesus Christ that's really what acts is all about the spread of the the gospel at the start of acts before Jesus ascended Jesus said this to his early disciples, Acts 1-8, Jesus said to them, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you just leave that up there for a second, that right there, that, that's what we've been seeing now here in the book of Acts. The, the spread of the gospel to those particular areas. Acts 2, the early Christians started as witnesses, started telling people about Christ in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem then, Thousands of full-blooded Jews came to faith in Jesus Christ. But Acts 7, a persecution uh, started against the Christians in Jerusalem, and they then scattered, now being witnesses in outlying areas like Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus said they would. They're, They're still within Israel's boundaries there in Judea and Samaria, but no longer in Jerusalem. And in Acts 8 here, we've been looking at what happened there in Samaria. A Christian named Philip, at the beginning of Acts 8, he went to Samaria, he shared Christ there, and many Samaritans now came to Christ in faith. Not full-blooded Jews, like back in Jerusalem, but now half-Jews, these Samaritans, coming to faith in Christ, the, the gospel has been spreading. Christianity has been spreading like this this wildfire, starting there in Jerusalem and spreading out to Judea and Samaria, starting with full Jews, moving to half Jews. And, and what do we see now? This last passage here in Acts 8? Well, God now starts to fulfill that very last part of Christ's statement the gospel now takes its first step toward the end of the earth. And it starts here with one man from Ethiopia. If you read it with me, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before it, shears his silence, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. To Caesarea. Amen. The gospel, the message of Christ, right there in that passage, Acts 8, in that passage right there, the gospel has now taken its very first step toward the end of the earth like Jesus said it would. But you know, when you look at this passage here, it's not that we just see the gospel spreading here to a new ethnicity, to a new area. No, we also see here how the gospel spreads. We we see here how the gospel will ultimately spread around the entire globe. And how does the gospel spread? What do we see here? Well, the gospel spreads by divine providence. God sovereignly opening doors for the gospel. God sovereignly moving people and moving pieces around. God sovereignly guiding, directing events. The gospel will ultimately spread around the globe governed by God's hand of providence and we see it right here in this passage. Then I mean, you know, the, the Bible teaches that God is ultimately over all things on this planet, governed, all things governed ultimately by God's hand of providence. The Bible teaches that God is ultimately over all things, guiding, governing somehow the heidelberg catechism great little summation of biblical truth written years ago it defines providence in this manner what is god's providence here's the answer to the heidelberg catechism god's providence is the almighty everywhere present power of god whereby as it were by his hand he upholds heaven and earth with all creatures And so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meet and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The hand of providence ultimately over. All things in this universe and you know that's hard for us to understand at times we, we, we won't always be able to see we won't always be able to understand how God is is governing all things or why he's governing them in the way he is governing them that that's why people talk about the mystery of God's Providence John Flavel 1600s wrote a classic book called The Mystery of Providence. Great book. I'd highly encourage you to read it. We are small as human beings. We are very finite in, in, in our little minds. We, we, we see just a fragment of the bigger picture that God sees in this world And so we're often confused by what happens, the mystery of providence, but whether or not we we can see or understand exactly what God is doing, the Bible is teaching. The Bible's teaching is that God's fatherly hand of providence is ultimately guiding all things, including the spread of the gospel. And we see that right here in this passage, the gospel message of Christ here in Acts 8, ultimately reaching this one man by divine providence. There are three things I think we can see in this passage concerning God's providence and the spread of the gospel. And the first thing we see here, we see a providential leading. The the fatherly hand of God's providence leading Philip to one man. You know, when you kind of step back and you look at this passage of Scripture, if you've been reading through Acts for the first time, you would never predict what God does right here in Acts 8, verse 26. No way you would predict what God does here. You just think about it. This guy, Philip, in this passage, he has just recently moved into Samaria, preaching Christ. And hundreds, if not thousands, of Samaritans have now come to Christ. The gospel has just crossed a significant ethnic barrier going from just full Jews now to these half-Jewish Samaritans. This is a hugely momentous time for the gospel. And if I were in charge, I would have left Philip there. Are you kidding me? Crazy revival in the city of Samaria. And you now have all these people there in Samaria who trusted Philip. They they, 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 they seemingly would have needed Philip now for him to explain to these new Christians how to follow Christ leave the dude there. That's what I would have done. Whatever you do in Philip in Samaria, just keep doing it because it's working. We like the church that's being built there in Samaria. But God sees a bigger picture. And, And God sees things not like we see them. He doesn't get just a fragment of the picture like we do. He, he doesn't see things just temporally according to this life. No, God sees everything. And He looks at everything according to eternity. And, and, and God now is going to do something no one ever would have expected. You look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is... A desert place. <laughs> can you picture Philip? Can, can you picture Philip getting those words? Just back up. Don't rush past it. An angel. First of all, maybe the middle of the night. We don't know. Maybe during the day, could have appeared in his room. Middle of the night, freaked him out. <laughs> Man, I I uh, in seminary uh, one night, Molly laying beside me, middle of the night, sleeping. I woke up, and I saw what looked like a tiny man just standing at the foot of our bed. Complete darkness. I see this figure almost had a heart attack. And then I realized it was just our not-yet-even-two-year-old son somehow climbed out of his crib, never done it before, somehow got into our room, and then decided to just stand there. Until Daddy woke up and died. Freaked me out. And this was an angel. If it showed up at night, maybe shining a little brighter than my son, or maybe not. Maybe it was the middle of the day, and the angel just looked human. You know, Hebrews thirteen two says some have entertained angels unaware. The angel's just looking human. You could have entertained an angel unaware. And you say that's crazy. Why? Scriptures talk about angels all over the place. We don't know how this happened with Philip. There's an angel. The angel then spoke to Philip, go south toward Gaza, a desert place, Luke says. I've got a map of Philip's journeys here in Acts chapter 8. He started there in the lower right in Jerusalem, and he made his way north to Samaria, also called Sebast. And the angel has now asked him to go south again back through jerusalem down to the lower left of the screen there to gaza a desert area in there that road and you can see gaza is now right on the edge of israel's territory and man philip gets this word and it probably sounded crazy to philip i mean he's in this booming city of samaria loads of people coming to Christ, and I'm going to the desert, I guess. (laughs) Hot. Uh, It's a long trip, and no one there. uh, Makes no sense, maybe, on the surface. But that's God's providence at times. It's just mysterious, because we're small. Small. We see just a fragment of of, of the bigger picture. And what Philip doesn't know yet is that God is now in hot pursuit of just one man who's traveling through the desert. God is now pursuing just one man. (laughs) And, and, And do you know, that's how salvation really works. God pursues you. God pursues you. God sees you, and God pursues you. Man, when, when, when you are lost in this life, and you're, you're, you're dead in sin, as the Bible says, you're a, you're a slave of sin. You're, you're living in your own desert of, of sin. You, you don't then ultimately seek and somehow find God. And It doesn't work like that. God seeks, and He finds you. Jesus said about himself, Luke 19, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, the one true good shepherd, he seeks and he saves his lost sheep. And listen, when you are lost and you're dead in in your sin, you're you're dead there. The, The only reason you do actually begin to seek Jesus in any way, well, that's just because Jesus was first seeking you beginning to draw you to himself. An anonymous hymn writer put it like this. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found the Savior true. No, I was found of thee. And and Jesus, he was now seeking here. In hot pursuit, of just one man, and and Jesus here through the Holy Spirit, sovereignly providentially guiding Philip to this desert location. It may seem crazy to Philip but he obeys. He is the picture of an obedient servant here even though it doesn't make sense. He can't see it by his eyes, uh, his, his natural eyes. He, he trusts and he obeys and he arrives in this desert area and then he realizes he's not actually alone. Look at verse 27. And he arose and went and there was an Ethiopian. <laughs> in the desert. And the Greek there is, is actually a little funny. Literally, behold, a man from Ethiopia. And Luke is giving us, there, there's a little sense of surprise there. Philip should have been alone, but he's not alone. Behold, a man from Ethiopia, country south of Egypt, in Africa, also called Cush in the Bible. So, you you picture this Ethiopian, picture a dark-skinned African man here, and very likely a Gentile, not born as a full Jew or half-Jew, but most likely born as a non-Jew. Now, it's possible that his family was part of the dispersion. They had moved to Ethiopia, and he, he was coming from a Jewish family, very, very doubtful. This is probably the first connection with a non-Jewish Gentile that Christianity has. And Luke says he's a eunuch, emasculated man, court official of the Queen of Ethiopia. It was very common back in this day when a woman was in power to have eunuchs in the highest positions in her official court because they would have no physical desire for the queen, and they could protect her and, and not harm her. And this eunuch, Luke says, was the official treasurer, wealthy man most likely. Luke says he's riding in a chariot here. F.F. Bruce says, quote, most people back then traveled on foot. The prosperous rode on a donkey. Military generals rode on horseback, but a chariot signaled wealth. Makes sense, as the official treasure for the queen of Ethiopia. And this man, Luke says, has traveled to Jerusalem. A long trip from Ethiopia. 1,500 miles in a bumpy chariot, probably taking some five months for this man to get to Jerusalem. And verse 27 says there that he went to Jerusalem to worship. He was most likely what was called a God-fearer or a proselyte. So he had probably converted in some way to Judaism and a long journey now to worship the Jewish God in the temple. But here's, here's the important thing to know about this man. Even though he'd made this long trick- track to worship God in the temple, he couldn't really get all that close to God. This man had several strikes against him that would have kept him from the temple. He was probably a Gentile, for starters, a non-Jew. So the closest he could get to the temple was the court of the Gentiles, the outermost court around the temple, not that close really to the temple itself, but he was also a eunuch. And according to Jewish law, eunuchs were not allowed to enter the temple grounds at all. Not even the court of the Gentiles. They could not participate in any way in worship at the temple. If this man right here was found at the temple, and they figured out who he was, what kind of man he was, he would have been kicked out. So now now picture it this man's worship of God in Jerusalem probably did not happen at the temple at all. But, but just in one of Jerusalem's outer synagogues, maybe. 1,500 miles. A five-month trek in a bumpy chariot to worship God, and yet he still can't get all that close to God. He is separated. He is cut off from God in every way. Man, but here's the thing. Back in the Old Testament in the Bible, written long before this right here, God had promised. God had promised that a new day was one day coming. A day when all people would have a free and full access to the one true God. Not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. A day when even Ethiopian eunuchs would be able to enter the presence of God. I want you just to see a couple of promises that God had spoken years earlier back in the Old Testament. Psalm 68, 31. God said, Nobles shall in the future come from Egypt. Cush, or Ethiopia, shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Ethiopians will one day worship a free and full access to the one True God. What about eunuchs? Well, God had promised this, Isaiah 56. Let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Even eunuchs would one day somehow be given a place within God's true house, be given an everlasting name that would not be cut off, be able to enter God's presence fully and, and forever. And then you could just picture now this, this Ethiopian eunuch, as, as he's heading back home, a 1,500-mile journey back home, probably feeling somewhat marginalized, Probably feeling a bit of an outcast. Still can't get that close to God like other people. But unbeknownst to him, God is now in hot pursuit of this one man through Philip in order that this Ethiopian might now hear how he right now could enter the presence of the living God through Christ jesus so god has sovereignly guided philip through an angel to to this very desert and surprise philip's not alone and god now sovereignly guides philip again through the spirit if you look at verse 29 and the spirit said to philip now go over and join this chariot just pause here he is in the desert chariot off in the distance spirit speaks go Join the chariot, Philip. The scripture says he runs (laughs) to catch the chariot, I think. Man, it's amazing. All through the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit speaking to people, leading, guiding people, very, very specific ways, telling people to do certain things, telling people to, to go into certain areas. And this spirit now speaks to Philip. It's possible that Philip heard actual words in his ears or, or maybe just in his mind. The actual voice of God, the, the whisper of the Holy Spirit, go, Philip, go. Or maybe it was just some sort of internal tug or, or, or something In his heart, the indwelling spirit just burning inside of him now, nudging, pushing, compelling Philip. And he knows that's the spirit, that's the spirit, that chariot. I gotta go. Somehow, here, the spirit speaks to, to Philip. Man, you just step back and look at this. God, throughout the first part of this passage, God is just sovereignly, providentially leading. First an angel leading Philip, then the Spirit now leading Philip. God moving Philip to just the right place at just the right time. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He still leads His people like that today. God still leads His people today. Sovereignly, providentially, moving His people, guiding His people governing his people, directing them to just the right place at just the right time. That's how the gospel spreads. It's not ultimately you figure it out. Yes, work at it, pray at it, but it's ultimately God leads, God's direct, the fatherly hand of God's providence. God guiding Philip here to one man whom God had prepared This man, he is ripe. He he is ready to hear the gospel about Christ. And could God still sovereignly lead you today to someone he's prepared? Ripe and ready to hear the gospel. Absolutely. Picture yourself on a plane. There you are. One destination to the next, she just want to get there and that woman, seven rows in front of you. God's been working on her. Circumstances in her life are painful. She's struggling, doesn't have the answers. She's ripe. she is ready to hear about Christ, and God wants you to connect with her. That is actually why you just so happened to choose that particular flight you just like the time of day you 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 just thought you'd you get there at the right time but god sees more and you chose that particular flight providential hand of god and god could now connect you with that woman a million different ways <laughs> She heads to the bathroom, and all of a sudden, you just so happen to have to potty also, really badly. And you get up, and you go back, the bathroom's locked, and you stand there with her and talk. Or maybe the TV screen in front of you just so happens to be broken. But you don't grumble, right? Because you know that ultimately all things come through the hand of a God who loves you. So you just tell the stewardess and she moves you right beside that woman. Or do you think God could actually send you an angel to direct you? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is sovereign, can do anything He wants to do. Now, you might not know it's an angel sitting on that plane. You, like Hebrews 13 say it says, you might entertain an angel unaware. which somehow directs you towards that woman. Or, could the Holy Spirit actually speak to you? Somehow, tell you, that woman. Go. Now. Absolutely. 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 The Holy Spirit who lived in these Christians back then, well, that same very personal, all powerful helper he still lives in Christians today. The Holy Spirit's still speaking. Today. Christians back then, like Philip here, they needed a very specific guidance at times. This desert, that chariot, go. And we also still need a very specific guidance at times. That desert, that chariot, that woman, go. But a lot of Christians today, man, it's like the Holy Spirit died in, in the first century. It may talk about him occasionally, but he, what does he really do now? The Trinity no longer Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity now Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. And yes, man, the Scriptures are so incredibly important. They're our only rule for faith and practice, and everything needs to be tested by the Scriptures. But listen, you can't just open your Bible and read, Woman, seven rose up, needs Christ, goest thou now to her. <laughs> Man, I wish the Scriptures did say that at times. It would be much easier. But no, you have to depend. Living in the Scriptures and the depending on the sovereign, providential, gentle leading of the Holy Spirit. Specific direction in the moment when you need it. Christians today just... Like Christians back then with Philip, we need a real-time, very specific word for this specific situation. Man, thank God the Spirit still speaks. You might not hear audible words. I never have. You could. Somehow in your ears or, or, or in your mind, God is sovereign. He could do anything He wants. But maybe you just get this tug which i have experienced in your heart nudging pulling pushing your heart burning the indwelling spirit just compelling you that woman now go to her and you just know somehow the spirit not in words but the spirit just spoke to you it happened recently to one of our missionaries so let her later tell you the story i don't want to steal her thunder but she just so happened to walk down a certain street in China, past a certain street vendor, and suddenly sensed this strong internal compulsion, that woman, now. And she listened. You know, you can write that off. "Ah, It's just the pizza I ate last night. Or you can try and see what happens. And God is so pleased when we seek to obey Him in ways like this. And she went and talked to the woman, and she was ripe, ready, and is now following Christ, reading the Word. The Holy Spirit still speaks. Our good and gracious God still guiding His people today, leading to just the right place at just the right time. But here's the question. Do you really look for God's leading? Do you pray for that in the moment, I desperately need direction type of leading? Do you, do you listen for the Holy Spirit? Maybe not in words, but something crying out in your heart, God, help me, do you even listen? Do you even expect that God might lead you in the moment? Does your life group actually pray for God's leading? Does your life group actually spend some time listening, just being quiet in the Scriptures, listening for God's leading, the leading of the Spirit, or is it it all just human effort to you? Just the reasoning of your, your natural mind. God still leads His people, still speaks, guides, directs in very personal, real-time, intimate ways. The question is whether we're actually looking for it. Whether we're actually listening, expecting our ears and our our eyes open, our, 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 our mind and our heart ready. Is that you? That's the first thing here concerning God's providence in the spreading of the gospel, I believe. There's a providential leading right here in the spreading of the gospel. The second thing we see here is a providential reading. It wasn't just that God had providentially led Philip here to just the right place at just the right time. No, God had also providentially led this Ethiopian here to just the right text in the scriptures at just the right place and just the right time. When Philip runs to this chariot here, verse He says, Philip, now here's this man. And this man just so happens to be reading out loud the Old Testament Scriptures. Scroll on his lap as his chariot bumps along. Coincident? Random circumstance? Chance? (laughs) No way. According to the Bible, there is no luck in this world. There's God's hand of providence. John Calvin called luck a pagan god. (laughs) So whenever you're attributing something to just good luck in this world, be careful. The Heidelberg Catechism, indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. (laughs) Man, you just stop and think about this story the fatherly hand of god's providence had somehow provided this ethiopian with a very wealthy scroll he had it in his chariot didn't god had now prompted him to read it right now and god had very sovereignly guided this man at this very moment to read just the right text oh my word you look again at verse 30 so philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Oh, my word, you talk about a divine setup. Don't you just pray for stuff like that? Oh, Lord God, please, please. Could I just be in the desert and there's a chariot and I'm close and the guy is just reading Isaiah and and I could just ask him one question: Do you understand that? And all of a sudden I'm in his chariot and, and oh God, please! That is called low hanging fruit <laughs> right there. You just walk past the tree and that thing falls off and uh, God can do it. Uh, it's amazing, man. God can do it. That stuff still happens today. Ian Thomas, well-known Bible teacher, 1900s, he told about getting on a plane. He was tired. He was planning to sleep. You know how it is. Earplugs in, the thing over your eyes. Get away from me, people. Uh, but then he heard this, Psst, And he looked, and there was a man across the aisle, said, hey, I'm trying to read the Bible. John 3, Nicodemus born-again thing, and I don't get it. Do you know anything about the Bible? That is low-hanging fruit, and God does that stuff. That is a divine setup, the mysterious hand of providence. Same thing here, and Philip's now in the chariot. And listen, Isaiah has 66 chapters, so this guy could have been reading anywhere in Isaiah, but out of all 66 chapters, he could not have been reading a more perfect chapter at this particular place, at this particular time. Isaiah 53, a prophecy spoken hundreds of years earlier about a coming Messiah who would die, sacrificial lamb for the sin of the world. You look at verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading at that place at that time was this, like a Sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and then like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? <laughs> can you just picture that? <laughs> You're walking down the street past the guy's car parked on the side, the windows down, and as you're walking by, hey, you, walking past my car right now, I'm reading the Bible. Isaiah 53, this lamb led to the slaughter. Do you know? Is that Isaiah or someone else? Oh, God, give me that. (laughs) Please, give it to me tomorrow, man. God can do it. I pray that for our church, that the Lord, He knows where they are, and He can lead us in a heartbeat that low-hanging fruit where you just ask one question, do you understand? And it comes falling off the tree. We don't just see in this passage a providential leading. No. This right here was a very providential reading. God had directed this Ethiopian to just the right text, just the right place in the desert. Isaiah 53, a prophecy just fulfilled a few months earlier in the death of of Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God sacrificed on the cross in order that sinners like you and me, in order that Ethiopian eunuch sinners like this man could then through faith in him enter freely and fully into the presence of God. This was a very providential reading. A golden opportunity for Philip, and man, Philip does not miss it. You talk about a softball. (laughs) The Ethiopian eunuch threw him a softball, and Philip knocks it out of the park. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, who is the sacrificial lamb. That's Christ, Jesus, eternal Son of God. And Philip opens the scriptures to him, starts here in Isaiah 53, goes elsewhere, and and, and the Holy Spirit does something. Turns the light bulbs on for the Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, opens his mind, oh, opens his, his heart so he can comprehend what what, what 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 Philip is saying to him. And this man now believes, believes that Jesus is the Son of God, come to die, sinners. This Ethiopian eunuch now knows. An ostracized man cut off from God's presence. How does that man get back into the presence of God? It's in and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, Ephesians 2.13. This would have been just the precious word of the Ethiopian eunuch. Man, this was what's going on here at least. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There it is, man, and you know that's really good news for you and me. You know why? Because the Ethiopian eunuch in this passage—that's basically you. That is me. It wasn't just this. It wasn't just this man cut off from God's presence. It was the entire human race cut off from God's presence, our sin kicked out of the Garden of Eden, separated now from God's presence, far off from God now, cannot come near to Him, just like this Ethiopian eunuch, but through the blood of Christ, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, you, me, who were formerly far off, we can now come near, in and through the blood of Christ. That's the second thing here concerning God's providence, the spread of the gospel. First, providential reading. Second, providential, I'm sorry, providential leading, providential reading. And the last thing here is a providential reaching. (laughs) Philip. Philip reads the scriptures with this man. His heart's open. He turns to Christ in repentance, turning away from sin. Clings to Christ in faith. He's born again. He's saved. He's a baby Christian. It's amazing. Philip probably already told him this, but he knows what baby Christians are supposed to do first. You look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. (laughs) It's amazing when the Holy Spirit's really in your heart. You didn't have to send this guy back with all kinds of counselors, with all kinds of teachers, with all kinds of different books, with all kinds of things, just hoping he continues to follow Christ. No, the Spirit's in his heart. The Spirit will cause him to follow Christ. And he goes. He goes. He heads home, baptized. He, Philip is apparently miraculously taken away. God is sovereign can do anything he wants and the Spirit now carries Philip away. He's found at another town. He just keeps preaching. But this Ethiopian, Luke says, continues on his way to Ethiopia rejoicing. The joy of a new convert. And this one man, Ethiopian eunuch, has now sovereignly, providentially been reached by God. (laughs) God saw him. God sought him. And God saved him. But here's here's the thing about the story. God's very providential reaching of this one man here, God probably wasn't reaching just this one man. Because this man returns home. To Ethiopia, to Africa, with Christ in his heart. A single seed has now been planted by God in Africa. And you know what Christian history now says about this Ethiopian here? We can't be 100% sure this is correct, but these are reliable sources. Irenaeus, famous Christian a 100 years after this, said this man became the first missionary to Ethiopia. Said, quote, he preached in Ethiopia what he himself now believed. John Calvin said, quote, his faith spread a sweet fragrance far and wide in Ethiopia. And many historians now say that through this man here, Christianity was ultimately established in Ethiopia, in Africa. A continent that soon after this right here, a continent that would soon produce some very famous African Christians with names like Cyprian and Tertullian and St. Augustine. Men who may have ultimately come to Christ because of what? God just did right here with this one man, providentially reaching one man. And through this one man, God providentially reaching into an entire new continent. And you see what just happened here in the book of Acts? Do, do you know how people in, in the first century, back at this time, you know how people in Israel and in surrounding areas, you know how they used to talk about Ethiopia? You can find it in the writings of many first century writers. Herodotus, Strabo, Heliodorus, Homer, writers in the first century and before the first century. You know what they called the country of Ethiopia? Here it is on the screen, the end of the earth. That's how they referred to Ethiopia. And you see what just happened? Remember what Jesus said, start of Acts to his apostles. Here it is, Acts eight. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, including Ethiopia. And God has now started to fulfill the very last part of Christ's statement. The gospel now taking its very first step toward the end of the earth. And every last bit of it here happens by divine providence. That's how the gospel spreads. God ultimately governing, directing, guiding the spread of the gospel. So as we close here, can I just encourage you once again, will you please look for the leading of God around you? Will you please look for it? That's how, that's how the gospel spreads. Trust God to, to, to lead you. Trust God to do it in your life, to direct you. Trust God to do that in your, your life group. God, God very sovereignly, mysteriously at times, moving people, moving pieces. Man, why did I get fired in this job and end up somewhere else? Man, why, why, why did my car break down and why did I end up over the mechanic shop? Oh well, man, why do I feel compelled to go and talk to this person in the store? Can you just trust that God might be leading you, sovereignly directing you, according to his, his good plan. Will you please pray for God's leading? Will you trust in it? Will you listen for the leading of the Spirit? Pray for the leading of the Spirit. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. May God give us the ears and the eyes to see it and the heart and the mind to recognize when He's doing something around us for the sake of the gospel. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Bless You, Lord God. Mysterious serious thing of providence, hard for us to even grasp at times how You use it, how You direct in, in these ways. Hard for us to understand how the Holy Spirit today might speak in our, our hearts. We are thankful the Holy Spirit is there in our hearts. We don't believe the Holy Spirit is now totally silent in our hearts. But we don't understand how that works, Lord God. Will You please help help us. Will will you please help us to be sensitive, knowing that you are a real God, that you are a present God, that you're with us all the time, that you're guiding and directing, even through the difficult circumstances in our lives. Lord, will you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to perceive what you are doing around us for your glory and the eternal joy of all peoples. We thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.